HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. As a show dedicated to the hospitality industry, I'm so excited to introduce our new podcast sponsor, Talk. Talk is your all-in-one platform for reservations, takeout, and event management. Reach millions of guests, eliminate no-shows, and drive revenue for your business. Make the switch to Talk today at exploretalk.com slash join. This week on Meet and 3, we're foraging. From Prospect Park to an iPhone app, what does it mean to find our own food? We've recorded, I think, over 1,300 species of fungi occurring in New York City. You know, my ingredients are making themselves, and so that rather than having the stress of needing to source the things I need, I can just walk out my back door and I can have them. Foraging overall is born out of living with the land and with the seasons by indigenous people. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It is Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. This is our 293rd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a chef and entrepreneur with a game-changing recipe tool for professional chefs, and I'll introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to utilize the right tools. Whether it's an app or website or physical tool, finding the perfect instruments for you and your business is key to success. Tools can not only make your job more efficient, but save time and money. So do your research and find what works best for your needs. And if by chance what you're looking for doesn't exist, then of course you can invent it. That's my tip today. Now I'm thrilled to have my guest joining me. It is Josh Sharkey. He is the founder and CEO of Mies, the recipe tool for professional chefs. 
Josh has over 15 years of experience as a chef from Michelin star restaurants in Norway to working with some of the best chefs in New York City, including Greg Coons, David Boulay, and Floyd Cardoz. In 2009, he opened his first solo project, a fast casual concept called Bark Hot Dogs, which received many accolades, including Best Hot Dog in New York by New York Magazine. And in 2020, Josh launched Mies after two years of development, inspired by the same principles applied to great cooking, an uncompromising attention to detail and a constant drive to evolve and improve. So without further ado, hi, Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, Sherry. And thank you for the uh, kind intro. Oh, you're very welcome. I mean, it's always, it's like, it's, it's, it's the short bio, but I tried to get in there, you know, a bunch of highlights because you certainly have done and accomplished a lot. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's go back to your background a little bit and uh, tell me where you grew up and what inspired you to get into cooking in the hospitality industry. Uh, sure. Well, I grew up in Northern Virginia. Um, and, you know, I really started cooking, um, at a, at a young age because my, my father had passed away when I was 16. And so I, I was, you know, cooking dinner for the family. That's really, that's kind of how it sort of, sort of kickstarted, um, cooking more as a necessity, but then sort of grew into, um, you know, um, a, uh, an interest, which grew into a passion, which then eventually grew into a love. Uh, but really the impetus for kind of what, what became my career was, was just starting to cook for the family. Um. And, you know, I can sort of go into some more of the background of, you know, my early years of cooking before I, before I moved to, um, you know, Norway and then New York, uh, but that's how it started. So, and you, and you decided to go to cooking school? Yeah. So I, I was sort of deciding between, uh, res- uh wrestling, uh, in college. So I got a couple of scholarships to wrestle or going to cooking school. Wow. And then I, <laughs> that's impressive. Uh, uh, I decided, well, thank you. I, I decided that um, I, I found a way to do both because it turned out that Johnson and Wales had a pretty good wrestling team. Now they have an, an incredible wrestling team. Um, but that culinary school, the coach had reached out to me uh, because of an article he saw in the Washington Post when I was in high school about my wrestling career and how, how I wanted to cook. And so he um, you know, he, he um, worked at a way where I could get a scholarship to go to Johnson and Wales. And, and so I ended up going going there for culinary school. Wow, I didn't. I did not know that about Johnson and Wales. Um, yeah, they actually won. Um, I mean, this the the coach Lonnie is incredible, um, and it was actually his first year when I started there, and they were number one, uh, the number one wrestling team um, in America from, from D two, and I think they're they're just an incre- it's an incredible program actually, which you would not think of when you think of culinary school, but Johnson and Wales, you know, has a whole university. So yeah, no, no, I I did not know. Good to know. So so. So take us um, through through a little bit of your your cooking history because I mean the chefs I, from your bio that you've worked with are extremely credible chefs. Um, uh, were, was anyone in particular uh, uh, strongly a mentor for you, or what? It, what were your takeaways from from working with with all these these? Well, great- I think I learned you know a lot from each of the chefs that I worked for. All different things from each chef, and some things. Were more sort of I, the takeaway was some, something that was more culinary, and some, sometimes the takeaway takeaway was more sort of life based or, or work based. But really, they you know each of the restaurants that I worked at, uh, each experience kind of you know helped helped shape you know you know who I am today. I, I will say that Greg Kuntz, you know, I spent the most time with Chef Kuntz, and he probably had the biggest impact on my career. You know, as a 
as, as a chef and the way that I thought about food. Um, but also, you know, Floyd Cardoz was an amazing sort of, you know, uh, mentor and also in, in, like inspiration for how um, important it is to be an incredible cook as well as an incredible chef. And Floyd was both of those things. Um, one of the best line cooks I've ever seen is, is actually him and and, um, and, uh, and an incredible chef. Um, so, you know, I think each each restaurant was sort of um, a learning experience in itself of, of everything from business to, to culinary. Uh, I'm happy to sort of dig into any of those, but, um, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's, um, I'm sure, yeah, takeaways from all of them, really wonderful, wonderful chefs to work for. So, so when did you get the idea for Bark Hot Dogs? And, and did you think, I mean, back when you were going to cooking school, did you think one day you would want to have your own restaurant? Well, I always knew I wanted to have my own business, um, you know, and, and it became a restaurant once I started cooking. But even before that, when I was much younger, I wanted my own business. Um, and then, of course, once I got into sort of the, the, the restaurant industry, I, I, I did always want to have a restaurant. Um, but, um, you know, it, it didn't really spark until, um, you know, the, the, the thought that I could actually go and do it until much later in my career. But um, really, the idea for Bark came much earlier than uh, I, than the inception of it. When I was at Tabla, um, another cook there, uh, this guy named Brandon Gillis, who's a, also a really tremendous uh, cook and chef. And he was one of the founding chefs at this place called Franny's in Brooklyn. And now he's got a bunch of restaurants um, called Fiorella out in, in San Francisco. Uh, but him and I, uh, well, we lived right behind each other, but we also were, you know, became fast friends and sort of drew up this idea Really more, he was sort of the, the, the bigger inspiration in the beginning, but the idea of like, can we just disrupt fast food, right? Can we change the perception of fast food in, in America? Because we're at the time we lived in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and there was nothing, you know, it was just all sort of, you know, the typical fast food that you think of. And, um, you know, just like any sort of business, we thought, well, you know, um, you know why can't there be um, really great fast food that doesn't have this sort of connotation um, that fast food in America has? And so... That was sort of what sparked it. It took a long time after that for us to actually start to work on the on the on, on that plan. I left Tabla and went to Boulay and then went to Cafe Gray and you know so it was years later before we actually started working on the plan. Um, but the inspiration was really you know just creating a, a a new way to think about fast food. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, and it was I remember going and uh, taking a trip out to to Bark because you, there was you got a tremendous amount of. Of, of wonderful press and really well received. And I wanted to check it out. And I remember going and it being fantastic. And I mean, what, I mean, you had, what was your experience like as a chef owner? And then why did you ultimately decide to, to close um, after, I don't, how many, how many years were you? Um, uh, eight years. We were, it was around okay. for eight years. Um, I mean, look, yeah. the, the experience was, it was an incredible and also just tremendous learning experience. You know, Owning anybody that owns a restaurant, whether they're a chef or not, can sort of attest to, to um, um, you know, is a lot more than just cooking. Uh, and so that was, you know, we learned that fast is that we had to, you know, really create um, really, really tight systems. Um, and, you know, was, the learning curve, you know, was was um, almost immediate when we realized, like, we're not going to get the same cooks that we get at these fine dining restaurants. So if we don't create really dialed in process and we're not going to, you know, 
you know, execute the food that we want to, that, that we want to execute. Uh, and so that was, um, both a tough learning experience and also a really, um, a really inspiring one because it sort of, um, was, that was, uh, one of the sort of, um, kind of elements to what later became ease. Um, but, you know, I really loved the, the idea that we could one sort of, you know, um, create a new sort of, you know, um, channel of sort of food that didn't exist, uh, that where people could sort of bring their kids and feel good about it. Uh, but we could also, you know, take, you know, kids that had zero cooking experience and introduce them to techniques that they would never see, um, unless they, you know, worked at, you know, Michelin star restaurants, but do it in a way where they have sort of a process uh, that they can follow to execute well. Um, you know, and that, that was probably, um, one of the best takeaways I had as, a, as, as an owner of the, of the business and, you know, the reason for closing, there's a couple reasons. One, you know, it was just some, some real estate issues we had in Manhattan that uh, honestly, legally I can't talk about, but it was uh, a bit of a bummer. Um, and most importantly, just, I had, you know, an itch that I had to scratch, you know, me started becoming more and more and more of a thing that I really knew it, I, I wanted and needed to build. And, you know, I was at a, at a sort of a pivotal moment where I knew I needed to either raise more capital to grow bar or I needed to, you know, uh, go in another direction. And I decided that, you know, I really was more passionate about, um, you know, building this new, this new sort of product than me. And, and, and also sort of, I, you know, I, I realized that um, I would have a much bigger impact or I had the opportunity to have a much bigger impact on the industry. Um, if I could execute Mies the way that my, sort of the, with the vision that I had, then I would have as, a, you know, as a restaurant owner or operator. Yeah. So, so when, so the, so tell us a bit, let's get into Mies. Like um, when, when, ex I mean, you, you touched on when this, you started thinking of this idea, but when did you feel it was, it was going to be like, you were going to go all in entrepreneurial um, creating like into the tech space. I mean, you know, from being a chef and owner, it's, it's challenging. I would, I would assume. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I mean, they're 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 very different industries. They're also very similar. Um, but you know, I think I didn't. I I, I knew that I, I had to do it. It was an issue that I could really I knew I had to scratch. But um, I didn't really, um, you know, put pen to paper as they say, or like really start even thinking about building it until I did a lot of, you know, a lot of research, asking you know all my friends, all my sort of you know every sort of chef I knew in my network. Um, you know, what, what are they doing? What, how are they solving this problem? What, you know, what are they using to, you know, to, to store and manage their recipes? And it was a long time before I really decided, okay, this is a business that's worth doing. Uh, and I know, you know, how I need to do it. Um, so then, and that was really, you know, I think at that point, that was really when I had decided, you know, to, to, to close Bark because I, I had done enough of that where I knew there was something there and I needed to really, if I was going to do it, I needed to dive in, you know, you know, wholeheartedly. Yeah. So, so with, um, well, first with the name, did that just, um, how did you think, I mean, I know, I know it's, it's comes from Misimplas or Misimplas, but, um, was that something that came right away? Um, and, and what were you with your recipes before you started creating this tool? Like, how were you typically keeping your recipes? Um, and why did you see it needed, you needed, um, to create something that, for, you know, a better system? Yeah, well, I mean, it's two questions there. What, the, the name, I love four-letter words, so I knew it had to be something like that. Uh, Bark, was <laughs> funny. Bark was actually a combination of Brandon, my business partner, everybody called B, and everybody calls me Shark or Sharky, and so B, Shark, Bark, we kind of like... That's how that came to be. And, 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 and Mies was really, it was kind of a no brainer. Like, I don't think I even came up with any other names. 
Um, yeah. You know, mise en place is such a, um, you know, such a powerful sort of, uh, not just phrase, but it, it means so much to us as, as chefs, you know, because it's, it really is a true measure of like how we, um, of how we operate. And, um, and I knew that that's, you know, something that I wanted to make sure was, um, it was always sort of part of, of the ethos of how we built. And, and I wanted to make sure it was a name that was evocative of, of, of the culinary industry. I think that a lot of sort of um, the technology that we were in the beginning tried to sort of, you know, separate ourselves from um, was really back office accounting type software. And that was very clearly sort of, you know, finance and accounting driven. And so I wanted to make sure that we had a name that very clearly, um, you know, stated like, hey, this is a tool for chefs, um, specifically yeah. for chefs, for culinary professionals and, you know, and, and, um, and you know, remove any need for doubt there. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then I did I did throw in there a second question, which just like how were you how were you organizing your your recipes before, and why oh, did yeah. you this, yep. like feel this need um, to create a tool to, to I mean, better organize? Yeah, I mean, look, that's that's why we built Mies is because of the answer to that question, which was is a cluster, you know, it was everywhere. Um, Word docs, spreadsheets, uh, you know, Google docs, Evernote, notebooks, um, you know, <laughs> binders, um, you know, web pages, uh, you know, ev everywhere you can think of because they, and, and on top of that, you know, because, um, in a, in, a, in a business operation, you also need to deploy this recipe information into other sort of, you know, uh, verticals of your business, whether it's, you need inventory, you need purchasing, or you need, you know, menu data that that recipe would also have to live in, you know, and, and, um, in an inventory system and also need to possibly live in a POS system and, uh, and maybe it needs to live in your training system as well. And so it was really, um, you know, the problem that we're really trying to solve at the, at the heart of this is, is, um, you know, your recipe should live in one place. There should be one source of truth. And, um, right now in the industry, that's just not the case. And I think that's what, that's what we're really trying to do is sort of like gobble up all those recipes from all the disparate places that they live and, and centralize it in one place for you, where you can still sort of, um, you know, push that information to other, you know, to other places. Um, and so at this point now I'm, 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 I can confidently say like all my recipes from everywhere I've ever been live in Mies. Um, it took a while to get them in there. Um, like but how many was, recipes is that? <laughs> uh, thousands, you know, there's that, yeah. thousands of recipes there. And, you know, and, and, you know, there's a, I think we actually even in, included on the, on the, on our site here, but like, um, the novel idea of Mies originally came, you know, back in 2002 or something. I was, I was, um, when I was working at Tabla, I also worked for free for in the mornings for, for, um, uh, Mario Batelli's Salumi, uh, company in the Italian wine, wine merchant's shop, this chef named Dan Latham. And I had this notebook of literally every single, um, you know, recipe. And when I say recipe, I mean, time, temperature, humidity, you know, um, you know, color, uh, you know, moisture, all these things that, um, that went into, you know, making the charcuterie, um, and, um, and, you know, little notes and drawings of, uh, of, of how to tie the knots and things like that. And I, and, um, and I had this notebook packed with all those things as well as, well as like all these ideas. And I was, one day I would like for, you know, just for fun, I was staging at this restaurant Veritas on my day off. And, um, and, uh, I lost the freaking notebook and so I lost all of that stuff. And so the, the novel idea originally was, was, um, you know, I wanted a digital place to store all my recipes. That, granted that was back in 2002 and Evernote didn't exist or I, you know, I didn't, you know, know about it. Um, so that was really the original sort of, um, you know, idea behind it was just a wow. The cloud yeah. for your recipes. Yeah, well, I could see that being a motivation. I'm sorry, I feel badly. 
Never got those back either. Although, <laughs> funny enough, Chef Dan, um, we reconnected um, recently, and he's actually using these and 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 and, and um, is a great ambassador of it. And and, um, uh, and I'm going to slowly start hitting him up for some of the stuff that he taught me back then. Wow. Well, yeah. Well, so let me ask you my question from my last guest. On episode 292, I had on Ellen Yin. She's the co-founder and owner of High Street Hospitality Group, which includes A Kitchen Plus Bar, Fort, High Street Philly, and High Street Provisions in Philadelphia, and High Street on Hudson in Manhattan. So she wants to know, how did you get buy-in from your first chef? What kind of pushback did you get and how did you um, overcome it? She said she sees me as being a great recipe tool. Yeah, well, I think the the, the problem originally was I just got I just got complete buy-in when it was an idea, you know, because mm-hmm. you know, I would talk to my friends and say, hey, I have this idea of a better way to like store all of our recipes and here's what I'm thinking. And they're like, oh, that's awesome. Um, so in the beginning, you know, it was easy. Now, you know, the, the, the caveat here is that, um, you know, like for some reason I have a habit of choosing uh, businesses or problems that are really, really hard to solve. And um, once I realized the vision for me is the full vision, you know, I realized that like our, um, we, we have to, and there's an internal metric in our team and the way we think about sort of developing is like, we have to be 10 times better than Google Sheets and Google Docs and things like that, because that's what people use today and they're used to it. And it is pretty easy to use those things. Um, so it was really challenging in the beginning. Honestly, we pissed off a lot of my, you know, friends and chefs because it just wasn't there yet, right? It was we knew it had the opportunity to be there, but um, there's a lot of things that we had to do to to improve the, you know, the app to get it to get it there. So in the beginning, um, you know, we we um, we got a lot of pushback, um, but I think the most important thing that I learned was sort of how to sort of filter out um, the feedback and really sort of try to distill down like the problem that their that their chefs you know, what we're having and not really the, the, um, you know, the feature or the, or the sort of surface level thing that they were sort of, you know, uh, talking about. Um, cause at the end of the day, like all we're, we're trying to solve problems and, you know, sometimes features and technology do that. Sometimes something else does. Um, but now I think, uh, you know, and I say this just honestly, because it's just, um, I mean, it's really, I'm proud of my team for being such a big part of this is that honestly, when we demo Mies, uh, when we show the tool to a sh- to a chef, we, we have like a 99%, um, you know, uh, conversion rate where like, um, you know, it's, it's almost, um, we, we haven't had a chef yet where, where they see the platform and they're like, mm, I'm, I'm not sure. Like it's, it's like immediate buy-in because it's so obvious that, you know, that we've taken all this feedback over the last, you know, three or four or five years and instilled it into this product that just clearly says like, Hey, this is built for us by us. And I think, um, now we get really, really, really great buy-in. I think the biggest you know challenge we have is just to get it in front of as many chefs as possible. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. And I mean, it's, I think it's, I mean, you're, you're coming from, you're a chef yourself, you're a, a restaurateur, like, you know, you know, you created something that would be useful, you know, based on your experience. So, um, I think it's really, I, you know, I would I would trust you in in, a, in developing this product, and then the fact that you're show, when you're showing it to people, it's just an instant sell. Um, that's that's amazing. I would think I would think I guess you know the the first question people might ask is, well, how do I get all my recipes in there? And I think I think you've created it, so there's there's lots of ways, right? Like I mean. Like yeah, well, I mean, has the recipes on a notebook or an Excel sheet, it doesn't matter, right? Is that correct? 
correct? Exactly. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's a big part of, and, and a learning lesson up front, um, although it was sort of always part of the plan, but we knew it was going to be a big lift is, you know, half of our time is spent on how do we make sure the experience is incredible and is easy and is, you know, um, you know, fluent to, to, and fluid to use this product. And the other half of the time is how quickly can we take all this random recipe information that people have and get it into me's. And so we have a lot of technology um, built around how to do that, right? So you can, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of time sort of ingesting recipes from every format that you can think of um, so that now you can, um, you, know, you can, you can, you know, import a recipe, doesn't matter if it's a Word doc or a spreadsheet or a PDF or an Excel doc, uh, and it can be imported into Mies and we can normalize all the information so that it's structured into the Mies, you know, into the Mies database. And that's because, um, partly because we, you know, we track the Delta between kind of what was entered and what the actual output is. So we're, the system is constantly learning. Um, different ways that we say the word gram or different ways we spell onion or different iterations of uh, a pickle liquid. And so we can deploy mach- machine learning to, to constantly, you know, improve the system. Uh, so if, you know, nine months ago uh, you entered gram and you spelled it a certain way, it might have an error. Now that just doesn't happen. Um, and it just keeps getting, you know, it keeps getting smarter. Uh, and the idea here is that it doesn't matter how great our system is. If you have a thousand recipes and you need to get them in, um, well, it's got to be easy, and so that's a big part of what we do. And we and we actually, um, even though it's easy to enter them in yourself, we have a service that a lot of restaurants and chefs, um, you know, take advantage of, where we'll we'll, we'll upload the, the recipes for them. And you know, a big part of the technology is really, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to um, while um, you know while, while I had the idea for me, and while I, as soon as I realized like the importance of a of a database, which you know was about seven years ago. And because I had restaurants that I owned and then restaurant, a restaurant group that I was you know, able to run, you know, we spent seven years developing and testing this database of thousands of ingredients so that if you add a brunoise shallot or a sliced rainbow carrot or you know, a quarter cup of dark rye flour or a basom or something, all of those conversions of how much that cup weighs and about how much loss if you brunoise the shallot or if you juice the celery, it's all built into the app. So as soon as you take your sort of static you know, recipe information um, from whatever document it's in, it's not only sort of uploaded into Mies really quickly, but it's also now it's di- dynamic. You know, you can scale it, you can convert things, you can share it, all that kind of stuff. So that's the fun part for, you know, for us is like, how, how can we keep digging into that and making it really, you know, faster and, and, and easier? Yeah, that's amazing. So, um, what, so who are some of the, who are the, some of the chefs that are on board? And I, I know when you were doing some testing, you were, you were working w- with, uh, the Orify, uh, restaurant group, which has a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, very successful, um, more fast, casual concepts. I don't know if you want to talk, talk sure, about yeah. that. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we built a lot of me's while, while I was, um, the chief operating officer of, of, of Orify. So, so obviously all the brands within Orify are using a little bit, little bit table, um, uh, feels good chicken, La Panco to the end, uh, is using it all across America. Um, and then, you know, we have tons and tons of, of, of chefs, um, and restaurants across the country. Well, I, you know, across the world, I think we're in now like, you know, nine countries, uh, obviously USA, Canada, Mexico, Australia, UK, but even like Thailand, Japan, Korea, things like that. But you know, the, the, the type of businesses really, uh, like spread the gamut between, you know, fast, casual, full service, you know, fine dining restaurants to, you know, catering companies and meal kit companies. Um, you know, I, I always, I never know which ones to mention because there's, the, I, I, you know, I love them all, but you know, there's 
a lot of the a lot of the chefs maybe that you know the, the people we know here like dan kluger and franklin becker and octar and you know rock spirito um and then you know restaurants like maria and sullivan street bakery things like that uh polo bar um you know and there's a lot of places out west like she wolf and things like that there's there's there's, there's tons of them and we also you know we're, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of spare the um too much details because we're going to make a bigger announcement but we're also powering you know culinary curriculum software for for um, a really incredible culinary school as well that we partner with. Um, so we really, you know, we sort of say if you're um, a business that um, takes cooking seriously, then Mies is really, you know, meant for you. That's awesome. Yeah, I think I think uh, you also have um, Sullivan Street Bakery. Um, yeah, on, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'll give them a shout out because I, I work uh, with Jim Leahy. So, all right. The bread I've, is amazing. So. In the past. Um, and I know, yeah, so that's, yeah, you have, yeah, that's an incredible list of, of people. And I look forward to your announcement. Um, what, uh, I mean, uh, you launched in 2020. We know what last, I mean, last year, it's a hard time to launch. Um, well, I know you were working on this for many years before, but tell me, tell, tell us a bit about how this past year has been with the pandemic and how you, how you, how you got through it. I mean, yeah, look, it's been crazy. Um, not to mention, I had a, you know, I had, I had a, my second kid recently, which is sort of oh wow completely underestimated the amount of time that two kids takes uh, over one. Um, <laughs> but you know, as a, I mean, so the pandemic has had so many sort of um, so much impact on so many you know parts of you know not just my life, but 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 the company and my team and you know how we are able to you know now work remote and the learning experience behind behind that. But what when the pandemic, I mean, I think all of us probably remember the day, I specifically remember the day that my team went home. It was Thursday, March 12th, I think, and uh, or 16th, I remember the, the date, but like- Yeah, um, was the 12th was a Thursday. Yeah, and, and um, you know, we left that day and we're like, well, well, I'll see you in a week or two when this dies down, and obviously it didn't. And then literally like, I think two or three weeks later, as more and more of my friends and colleagues started mentioning like, hey, this is like, starting to hear the problems that, that, that were getting more and more serious. Like, what are we gonna do? Like, we, you know, we're still gonna pay our bills. We still have all this. Um, I, I, paused, um, I paused the launch of, of Mies. We were originally going to launch in, I think, June of last year. And instead we pivoted and we basically you know, I had my development team just stop what they were doing and build a home version of the Mies app. Um, and we started this thing called um, this uh, uh, thing called Recipes for Relief, uh, where we essentially built a, a brand new sort of like home version of the app and then allowed chefs to create recipes um, and recipe books and sell them to the public. And the public could kind of like pay what they want. And then 100% of the proceeds went back to the chefs. So we helped, you know, chefs raise, you know, thousands of dollars for their businesses or for themselves if they were you know, if they were out of work. And that was, you know, that was incredible. Um, it also sort of surfaced a lot of things that we knew we had to, um, you know, that we had to improve in the app because there was a lot of people. We went from, you know, very few people using it outside of our beta customers to thousands of people using it. And, and, and that obviously like um, illuminated a lot of things that we had, we had to sort of, you know, adjust. But um, it was, you know, it was just, you know, the pandemic was really like, like a way to see there's no North Star, like everything you know, everything can change. Everything is new. And, and, you know, and, and honestly, part, a part of me loves that because I love the idea of, of having to sort of change the way we think. And, and part of it was really traumatic. Um, you know, we lost, I'm sure a lot of us lost, um, you know, some people that we really love. I lost, you know, friends and, 
and family. And of course, you know, um, the terrible loss of Chef Floyd and Chef yeah. Boots, um, you know, through that time was just, you know, just immense. Um, but, you know, it really, I think it really did help sort of callous our, you know, all of us and our team and, and come out stronger uh, in the end. And I think now we're also even as a product much, much better because of it. Yeah, well, it's wonderful you did that and and smart that, you know, in helping out chefs, it's really, really great. And um, yeah, it seems, I guess we're starting to see the light at, at the end of this this dark year. I hope but, so. Uh, what, how many people are on your team now? We have, I'm so, I'm so bad at answering that question, but we have about uh, 13 developers and then, I always count on my hand, that's how many there are, right? <laughs> 13 developers and then, you know, um, two, three, so another, another seven on top of the third, so call it 20. 20 people. Well, um, okay. That's you're counting on your toes too, then. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, I mean, what's, what's, uh, before we take a break, like what's, what's your vision now or where, where do you want a company to grow, to go and grow? Are you, are you thinking you're going to have like, you know, a hundred employees or, you know, yeah, I mean, look, we, my, my vision is only just getting started. Honestly, like we're, you know, we're, um, you know, we've had in the past six months, we've had over 700% growth. Um, in in um, in a very short period of time, so we're growing really really fast, um, which is great. But it also means that we really need to like I, I really need to speed up all the things that I want to build for this you know for this technology. But for me, my vision is really um, you know I always sort of like refer to this is that you know it always bugs me that um, you know that designers have you know Figma or Adobe and photographers have Photoshop and architects of AutoCAD and chefs, you know, we don't have anything. And, and, and so I really want to, th this is what I want to give to our industry is like a tool that's for us, that's built for us. That is, you know, you know, all the feedback comes from us. And, and, um, and so there's, there's so much more that we want to do um, with the technology. Um, you know, we have a big launch coming now with automated allergy nutrition, but you know, the way in which you scale, the way in which you can sort of interact with the app to do R and D and the way in which you can, you know, iterate on recipes. Um, there's so much more that we, that we want to build. Uh, and so we have, it's, it's exciting, but you know, we have, a, we have a long way to go. Yeah. Well, it is exciting and look forward to, to, your future, the future. So on that note, let's take a little break and we'll come back. We'll play my speed round game. We'll talk some industry news. I have a solo dining experience this week as usual and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. As we know, and we often discuss here on my podcast, running a restaurant is no easy feat. Talk is your solution. It's built by passionate restaurateurs for the ever-changing hospitality industry, and it's the world's only unified reservation, takeout, and event management platform. Many of the restaurants that I work with in PR and restaurants that I dine at use Talk to offer special tastings book their chef's counters, manage their alfresco dining, and host events. Just the other day, I was on talk and I booked a solo open-air dining reservation at one of my favorite seasonal waterfront spots in New York City, Grand Banks. I can't wait to go. And I recently scored a reservation at Wiley Dufresne's Hot New Stretch Pizza at Bread's Bakery, also on talk. Plus, my hospitality clients love dreaming up ideas for the platform. 
as Talk allows them to easily manage them and drive revenue. And look, we know that change happens on the fly. With Talk, you can easily and rapidly update offerings, floor plans, and pacing in real time. So take control of your business. Make the switch to Talk today to reach millions of guests and drive more revenue. Learn more at exploretalk.com slash join. That's exploretalk.com slash join. E-X-P-L-O-R-E-T-O-C-K dot com slash join. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Josh Sharkey. He's the founder and CEO of Mees, that's M-E-E-Z, and it's the recipe tool for professional chefs. So, Josh, it's time for my speed round game. What this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you you get to pick your, your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. You ready? I am. And I'm, I have at all times chocolate in front of me at my desk. So if that question was one, it's chocolate. All right. That's the bonus. And I'm with you on that. I love chocolate. <laughs> um, okay. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Uh, well, I mean, right now it's eat in. Um but that might change in, in the next few months. Okay. How about wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? I am a bourbon guy. Ooh, good to know. Tasting menu or a la carte? Mm, depends on the restaurant. Uh, typically a la carte, though. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Uh, chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Hot dogs or hamburgers? Uh, that's a terrible one to ask me because oh, I'm going to say hamburgers. I'm sorry. Say it again. I'm going to say hamburgers, which I feel terrible saying, but it's, you know. Oh, I was thinking that was an easy one and you were going to go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> but I ate enough hot dogs in my day where, you know, I, yeah. I think I'm past uh, it. Okay. Um, following a recipe to a T or winging it? Uh, the first time and after that, winging it. So first time I would follow it. Um, well, that's how I would, like, I tell people to do that and then wing it after that. I think for myself, I typically yeah. just look for inspiration and recipes and then, you know, make my own. But Yeah. Well, that's, that's smart, I think. Uh, okay. Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Oh my gosh. Dessert. <laughs> I can say that 12 more times. It would be dessert, 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 dessert. Cool. Um, Manhattan or Brooklyn? Uh, can you be more specific? Just in general, Manhattan or Brooklyn? Wait, well, um, okay. Then I'll do Columbus Circle or Park Slope. <laughs> oh, um, I'm going to say Columbus Circle just because of the nostalgia of Cafe Grey. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. You know, I dined there once when it, in Time Warner Center, and it was it was amazing. Any, I feel any uh, dishes stick out to you? You know, it's it's funny you ask, because typically I, I, my memory is not very good, and this is why I love taking photos of food and Instagram, because I can look back. However, I do remember, what was it, a mushroom... What's the mush? The signature mushroom dish? Oh, the risotto. Okay, 
I remember that. And I yep. remember the presentation of it too. Uh, and that was phenomenal. Yep. The, uh, it's got the little mushroom sauce and it's like a Swiss style risotto where there's a lot of like butter that cooked with it the whole time. That's a, that's an incredible one. Did you, did, were you in charge of that station? Uh, I was not, I worked saucier and then in, in the meat station and then as a, as a, as a but, um, but, um, I can think of a bunch of people that were on that station that have a lot of memories of cooking a lot of risotto and searing off a lot of, a lot of mushrooms before service. I did make the mushroom sauce for that, uh, for that dish though. Yeah. Shout out um, to Tin Ho on, um, on, um, teaching me the, the, the proper way to strain a mushroom stock. I always remember that. Oh, really cool. Yeah. And I just feel fortunate. I got the opportunity to dine there. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was a long, it was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. And we, we, um, um, I think we're, we're trying to do something, um, soon to, um, you know, to, to, to give back and support the, the Coons family. I just, um, I just really love them. And, and obviously like had such a deep, um, love for, for, for Chef Coons and um, what he did for the industry. I think, you know, um, he just had such a, him and Floyd both had such an incredible impact on, on our industry. And I think that really inspires, inspires me to, you know, to, to hopefully do, you know, to, to do better every day because of what they've done for, for us. Yeah, that's great. It's really nice that you had the opportunity to work with both of them. Like, I think it's special. So, um, okay. So for industry news this week, the article I picked out was in the New York times and it's entitled, Grocery to table is a challenge for restaurants in the pandemic. Looking for new ways to get their food to customers, chefs are reinventing their dishes as retail offerings, and it can be tricky. And this was by Jane Black. So, I mean, this, I just thought this was, you know, interesting, or at least to highlight that this, you know, the restaurants they, they pointed out in this article, um, one of them is a uh, Little Sesame in Washington D.C. and I've actually been there. It's really, it's really great, fast, casual uh, concept. That they were starting to uh, try to retail their hummus, and realizing that it it's kind of trickier or harder to just take your product and 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 go put it as a grocery store product um, and uh, just the challenges of it. But I think chefs, including these guys, started doing it as another source of revenue uh, during during the pandemic. But I think from the article, it said it took them about a year to actually get their products in a store. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't get a chance to read that article, but, um, you know, I have a lot of experience, um, you know, creating CPG products and, and that process. And it is it, there's there's a lot that goes into it and, and independent of all of the re- regulatory things that go into it and schedule process and all that jazz um you know it's um it's just a different sort of uh, way of of thinking about how you cook the food right because you're um you know it, that you know in the, in the restaurant we sort of put a plate of food out and there's a different sort of you know shelf life there's a different atmosphere there's a different temperature it's on a plate um there's a lot that we can garnish it we can um, there's a lot of things that you can do to control it in a, in a you know in a restaurant setting and you give up all of that control, you know, when it goes um, into retail. Um, so, you know, there's, um, you know, there's just a completely different sort of methodology around how you're going to, you know, produce that product. Obviously, flavor comes, you know, is, is really important. But I think anybody that's going to do it has to, you know, think about, um, you know, just assume no one knows, you know, 
who you are, what your product is, um, and why they should buy it. So, you know, there's, I always, you know, when we were sort of exploring sort of, um, you know, retail hot dogs and relishes and things, you know, you know, like the, the most important, um, sort of metric that we, that, that we were always sort of, you know, told was, you know, pretend that your, your product is on a shelf. Why is someone going to pick that one over the, over, over another? And it, it is sort of, you know, judging a book by its cover, but, um, it's a tough, yeah, it's a, it's a tough process. Um, and you have to find the right co-packers if you're going to go that route and, you know, you have to then make sure they're going to execute it well. And, um, you know, um, how's it going to get distributed? There's, there's a, there's a, there's a lot goes into it. And there's people that are really good at just sort of focusing on that. And I think that anybody that, um, that does want to sort of get into the, into the actual retail game where you're sort of, you know, getting your product distributed to, to a number of retailers that, you know, just probably yeah. you know, find, find, yeah. find an expert to help. It's definitely challenging. And I think, I think these, these chefs are finding also to, you know, with keeping their recipe and their, the flavor that they had in their products um, to make that into a product that's uh, has a long shelf life and food safety certifications and all the things that, that it needs to be in a grocery store. Um, you know, you got, they have like altering the, the recipes to make it work, but then trying to maintain the integrity of it and what, you know, representing your brand. Um, and I think another restaurant or, or that they highlighted in this piece was Levane Bakery, which everyone knows is like got a cult following for their massive cookies. And I had the owners on my on my show um, back. I looked back; it was episode two hundred five, and they're they're fabulous. Uh, Pam Weeks and Connie McDonald, and they've now they've figured out how to go retail by freezing their cookies. Yeah, um, yeah, their cookies are so good. My God. Um, yeah. So now you can get them. Um, you can get them. They, I think this it pointed out most people aren't looking for cookies in the frozen section, but FYI, that's where they are. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's surprising how many things freeze well, cakes and donuts and things like that. Um, but I yeah, I, I think that um, you know, it's I, I think look, it's very hard to make money um, do, doing that unless you can get a lot of distribution and you have a product that that. Um, that just fits really well into um, into retail, because uh, you know, the, the thing you have to think about is like um, whatever product you're putting into a store is telling another story about your brand. And if it if you have to you know adjust the recipe so much that it is just not the same thing, um, what story are you telling? Um, and and um, you know and, and if if it's not something that has an economy of scale where you're going to sort of you know where where it's financially makes sense. Um, you know, I, it's tough. It's a, it's a tough decision to decide to do that. Um, because it's, it's not a, it's typically not a, a you know, a short-term gain. Um, and you, you have to be pretty well capitalized. So I always tell people to start trying to get into local stores and, you know, sell it, you know, retail shops buy you first for a while and see how that, how that goes. But Levon obviously did it the right way. I mean, getting real estate in a freezer aisle is not easy, but, um, but, um, I'm sure, you know, they figure that one out. Yeah, yeah, I think it took 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 them a, a bit of time figuring out the best way to do it, but they did. And yeah, just I think yeah, first you first you got to get your recipes down right and organized before you can do any of this. Yep. <laughs> so there you go. Um, there you go. Okay, it's time for my solo dining experience. So this week it's at La Pavillon by Danielle Ballou. Here's the rundown. The location, 1 Vanderbilt Avenue, New York City, the corner of 42nd Street. It's in 1 Vanderbilt Skyscraper. It's on the ground floor and second floor, and it's adjacent to Grand Central Terminal. 
So the concept is a culinary oasis in the heart of Manhattan, evoking a pavillon, a festive gathering dining space surrounded by nature. The chef and owner, Danielle Ballou, he it was my guest on episode 210. People want to go back and listen to that. And the co-executive chefs are Michael Balboni and Will Nasev. Corporate chef is Jean-Francois Bruel. And the corporate pastry chef is Sebastian Ruxel. So why'd I go? Well, Danielle opened a new restaurant. I mean, that's, that's enough reason to go. My experience. So this is a hard to get reservation. And I was on Notify for Resi and one came up at 9 p.m. on a Thursday and I for two people and I took it. Um, I thought it was a bit late, you know, to go to dinner. But I have to say, actually, it's with the sun setting so late now, it was it was perfectly fine and wonderful. And I called them a day ahead and asked or I said um, I was planning to come in solo and if it was okay, And they said, yes, please come. So. I showed up solo. Uh, there was a, a, a bar up uh, that had nice, nice energy. Um, some people were I, dining there. I learned it's more for snacks. I think you can get the full menu there, but um, it's really more of a drinking snack bar. Um, the place was so impressive. I was seated at a two top at the at the the front end of the dining room. Um, my server, whose name happened to also be Danielle, was lovely. Um, I selected my three courses uh, from the set menu and sat back, relaxed. I met the maitre d' Rafiette Olian, who, who was so lovely and took amazing care of me. And Danielle was was there and walking around the dining room and I was able to chat with him. He sat down in the banquet with me and and we got to, we got to catch up a little bit. And so it was a really, really special experience. Um, so what did I get? Well, I got their oysters, which are Ouvre Vanderbilt. Uh, roasted beets called bet- betterave sesame, uh, Maine lobster, Omard Cresson, and Meyer lemon, Harry's berries, strawberries, which the dessert's called citron frase. And I also had a macchiato, and there was bread service and an initial amuse course. So, what my take? Seriously, I, this is one of the best meals I've had in a really long time. I mean, I, I feel I eat very well, but sometimes you just go out and the food is even better than you expect. And just every course was was amazing. I mean, the oysters were to die for. They were actually served with a spoon because um, they had this rich sauce with them, which I've never eaten oysters out of a shell with a spoon like that. But um, yeah, it was really decadent. The beets, um, which they had sent out and it had this, um, speaking of hummus, it had the hummus in it with uh, from seed and mill. And that was lovely. The lobster was divine. The dessert was fabulous. If you don't know Harry's berries, they're they're the best. And so it was just a it was an exceptional meal. The ambiance, it's so it's fine dining with a dramatic setting. It's on the second floor, a thousand square foot space. It has 57 foot ceilings with soaring glass windows. And I read it has 20 foot tall olive trees, they're 20 feet. Um and lush greenery. Uh, half the space is a garden. It's it's really it's really quite something. And when I looked, I was at the banquet. When I looked over to the left, past the bar, I could see the Chrysler Building out the, out the window, which was really cool. And at the end of the meal, I got a tour of the kitchen. This is beautiful, huge kitchen. Um, really nice. 
So I'd say it's perfect for a special meal out, not necessarily for a special occasion. Interesting tidbit. Uh, One Vanderbilt is a 67th floor skyscraper, and it's now the fourth tallest building in New York City. And it's going to have an observation deck called Summit opening in October. So check that out. Personal fun fact. So back when I had Danielle on my show, it was March 2019. And my fun fact is he was he was talking with, I think, his his manager or um, director of operations about what chairs they should be putting into this new restaurant. So that was two years ago. And I think he was working on this project for four years. Um, And I sat in the banquette and I realized I didn't even get to try the chair. So next time I go back, I want to try a chair, see what he picked out. Okay, so the cost of my meal. It was $125 for three courses. That's not including tax and gratuity. They very graciously surprised me and comped my meal. I was not expecting it. So I just want to say thank you so much. Um, It was a treat and I can't wait to come back. And that's the answer to my next question. Would I go back? Of course. Um, it's, It's wonderful. I highly recommend it. And their website is lepavillon.com and Instagram lepavillon. So there you go. Josh, did I sell it? My God, I want to go now. Um, <laughs> change up my reservation for next. <laughs> your next, your next date night. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, that, sounds, yeah. that sounds amazing. I've heard, I've heard only, only like killer things about, about it. Um, and I think it's just like, just what it's like, just what, you know, we need <laughs> coming out of the pandemic is a restaurant like that opening. So. Yeah, it was great because also, I mean, I have to say it's fine dining, but it's not, it's at the same time, it's kind of casual, you know, well, the bill wasn't, not, I mean, that's not a, that's not a bad bill either. You know, you said a hundred, 125. Yeah. 125. And it's, 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 it's a three course menu and you, you pick, you select. And um, yeah, I thought so too. It's, it's for, for, for what you're getting. It's definitely a good, a good value. Okay. So, for the final question, my next guest is Judy Ann Wu. She's an independent marketing and culinary consultant working with brands both big and small. And she's the host of Food People Are the Best People, which is a new podcast on the Eat, Drink, Dine podcast network. And I was recently her guest on episode five. It is out there in the universe if people want to find it. Um, so, uh, Josh, please ask a question for Judy Ann. You know, and I'm glad I just saw this as well. Um, so, um, I think I would probably ask her a similar question as to how does she go about finding new clients? I will find out. Yeah, she's, she's, Judy Ann's based in, in Portland, Oregon, and, um, and yeah, we became friends because we just have similar similar taste and or desires. But yeah, I will find out because that's a good question. Um, yeah, I always find with consultants. We work with a lot of consultants, and and um, I'm always curious how they, you know, uh, it, it typically tends to be word of mouth. But I'm always interested to hear if they have like their own unique approach to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will find out. All right. And um, that's the show. So thank you so much for joining me. I, I impressed with everything you've accomplished. I can't wait to see all the things you're going to do next. And definitely um, I'm excited with, with me as I feel, I, you know, we got to get, get all my clients on board. 
Well, it was such a it was such a pleasure chatting with you, Sherry, and thanks thanks again for having me. Um, this was this was really fun. Um, you're very welcome. So thank you. My guest today has been Josh Sharkey. He's the founder and CEO of Mies, the recipe tool for professional chefs. Their website is getmies.com. That's getmeez.com. And you can follow Josh and his company on social media at Josh L. Sharkey and at getmeez. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website is BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda Wang. Thanks again to Josh. And thanks also to lovely Elise Porter. I'm Sherry oh, Bayer. I'll be back next week with a new show. I hope you'll tune in then. Stay safe and well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.